This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. With thousands of options under $20,000, plus customizable financing terms and down payments as low as $0 down, it's easy to find a car that fits your lifestyle. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today. Terms and conditions may apply. It's easy to confuse Dia de los Muertos with Halloween. Visually, the two holidays share quite a bit. When it is late in October, many fields in Mexico are filled with yellow flowers, wild marigold, the zampasuchil. In Mexico, both the season and the flower are symbols of death. But the attributes of death, which the zampasuchil represents, are for most Mexicans neither morbid nor sentimental. In Mexico, an intimate acceptance of death extends far back into pre-Hispanic times. That clip is from the 1957 Charles and Ray Eames short film, Day of the Dead. For many Americans, it was their introduction to the Mexican version of the tradition. Dia de los Muertos, at its core, is a day of remembrance for loved ones who have died. During the early days of November, it's believed those loved ones return to visit the ofrendas, or offerings, on an altar where they're honored. In the U.S., many trace the first public awareness of the tradition to an art collective in Los Angeles. And so they identified a celebration that was not about wars won or lost, like 4th of July, 16th of September, or Cinco de Mayo, but it was about specifically the culture, and more importantly, about recognizing and remembering our dead, as well as just remembering and, and also processing the grief of having lost them. That's Consuelo Flores. She's an artist who works with self-help graphics in L.A. They built their first public ofrenda in Los Angeles in October 1970. Since then, the tradition has grown in popularity in the U.S., and we'll hear more from her later in the hour. Now, many point to one animated movie as a catalyst for the attention Dia de los Muertos has gotten in recent years. Remember me Though I have to travel far Remember me Disney's Coco tells the story of a boy's quest during Dia de los Muertos to become a musician and uncover his family's tragic history. Along with interest and enthusiasm for the holiday, the movie also raised questions of what traditional means and who can celebrate and how. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. 
Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. Joining us is Cynthia Vidari. She's a researcher and folklorist at the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian. And Lalo Alcaraz, he's the cartoonist at the daily nationally syndicated comic strip, La Cucaracha. Cynthia, who celebrates Dia de los Muertos? Well, today, just about everybody, it would seem. Uh, historically, it's a tradition that happens in throughout the world around this time of year. But it's very, very well known in Latin America and particularly uh, in Mexico. And the version we see in the United States comes from Mexico. And increasingly, it's become part of the U.S. um, holiday uh, calendar. What other celebrations like it exist around the world? Well, it's very common uh, during um, the post-harvest season when the weather turns cooler and you get shorter days for people to take time to celebrate on their So there's celebrations like throughout Europe. Um, there's celebrations in all of Latin America that could be a variety of Day of the Dead, but with their own distinctions. That takes us to this message we got from Elena. She writes, I'm Japanese-American. In Japan, there's a season called Obon. It's celebrated on August 15th. The spirits of your ancestors come back. It's one of the biggest holidays in Japan. My grandmother used to make a small fire at the beginning of Obon season to welcome the spirits and make another fire at the end of the season to send off the spirits. Helena, thanks for that message. Now, the tradition of Dia de los Muertos was practiced in the U.S., and there had been some American interest in the holiday before self-help graphics set up their public ofrenda in the 70s. But, Cynthia, how did self-help establish themselves as an authority on Day of the Dead? Well, I would say from the vantage point of somebody who's been an admirer of their work, um, I think it helped revitalize what was happening in Mexico, because at the time, a lot of these traditions were being isolated in exclusively indigenous communities and were not really well known or much less practiced on a larger national level. So self-help graphics helps kind of bring that into the United States and is really the origin uh, for the celebrations here in the United States. It it brings, it makes it public. After a while, um, community members started uh, becoming familiar with the activities that they would put together, as well as the ofrendas that they would be constructing. And then after a while, you started having city parks and rec departments uh, starting to host events. And now it's a national phenomenon. Lalo, when did you learn about the holiday? Well, uh, I got to say it was, uh, you know, self-help graphics was the first place I landed as an artist in L.A. I'm, I'm from the border, from San Diego, and my, my family uh, was not from any place that celebrated Dia de los Muertos or Dia de Muertos, as they call it in Mexico. And uh, so I did pick it up directly from self-help graphics, becoming an, uh, uh, an artist there and participating in their uh, Day of the Dead, you know, celebration they have. They're having one this Saturday, uh, and uh, I'm going to be there uh, hawking uh, Calavera posters, you know. So, but that's where, uh, that's where I, I got it. What does the tradition mean to you now? Well, uh, since I'm, you know, I, I'm a political cartoonist uh, at, uh, you know, my, 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 my day job is, uh, you know, drawing uh, about politics. 
uh, and I do it with an emphasis on our community. Um, and so I, I, I started doing, you know, remembering celebrities or political figures or, you know, using Day of the Dead uh, as a metaphor, you know, to remember uh, political events, causes, things. And so, and you see that, you know, on a much bigger scale now where people will dedicate altars to, you know, the missing 43 students in, uh, in Mexico that were, you know, kidnapped by paramilitary forces and, and, and murdered and, uh, and, and different things. I mean, I've done cartoons and, and altars to everything, to the immigrants that died crossing the border. Uh, but, but really, since my mom passed away about seven, eight years ago, I do it about, uh, I do it about her and, uh, and my aunt, who uh, they were, uh, you know, uh, my uh, two ladies that raised me. <laughs> now, Lalo, you worked on Coco. The movie was a breakthrough in many respects. It not only introduced American audiences to Day of the Dead, it also was an example of representation that you helped curate as a consultant for the film. How did you become involved with the project? Well, uh Famously, I protested along with everyone in the community, it seems, when it came uh, to light that uh, Disney, uh, then uh, now uh, at that point owners of uh, Pixar and now, and they own everything, and uh, they uh, trade, tried to trademark the term Dia de los Muertos uh, uh, as a registered U.S. trademark, and the whole you know, community blew a gasket. And so uh, I ended up doing a cartoon about it. There was a massive petition and uproar. And this all happened in the period of about five days from like Tuesday night to Thursday night, uh, four days maybe. And uh, Disney withdrew the uh, trademark application. The trademark was for the working title of a movie about Day of the Dead, which eventually became known as Coco. Uh, and so, uh, you know, everybody was shocked that we actually won a battle. Uh, and, uh, and so a year later, though, uh, I, well, I had done a cartoon called uh, Muerto Mouse, uh, showing a, a big, scary, zombie, uh, skeletonized Mickey Mouse coming to take your culture, right? Huh. And so uh, a year later, I was approached by a friend who was a consultant on the movie and the executive producer, uh, Darl Anderson um, and uh, the uh, they they approached me and asked me, "Would you like to uh, be a consultant on this movie?" And I said, I, I, "Boy, the, the universe sure has a sick sense of humor, right?" Why did you end up joining it? Because I could I could imagine having some reservations. Oh, for sure. I mean, to go join teams, you know, with the Beast, right? Uh, it was. It was hard, uh, but kind of easy, too, because I thought I, I have this opportunity to make sure that this movie, which everyone had been trying to make in Hollywood for years, and there was a previous movie by my friend Jorge Gutierrez called Book, Book of Life, uh, also about Day of the Dead. Uh, but, you know, when Disney makes something, Pixar makes something, it's going to be around for, you know, 100 years. So I thought, you know what, uh, I, I got to step up and uh, make sure that this thing is... Uh, you know, not a disaster, and, uh, you know, quite the opposite happened, uh, you know, two Oscars later. We're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back with more of the conversation in just a moment.
Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. Let's get back to our discussion about Dia de los Muertos. Cynthia, when you think about television or film, what other instances have you seen that has represented this tradition well? Boy, that's a really loaded question, Jen. Uh, There's so much information that's out there. um, And you see so many people that want to participate in this, sometimes with the best of intentions, sometimes not necessarily so. Um, There are some really good work that came out actually um, in the 1960s, not in television or film, but the work that was done by the first Chicana educators when we started seeing large numbers of folks getting degrees in education. They were putting out a lot of curriculum that was very, very well done based on what was happening in communities. That doesn't really translate necessarily into something that's going to be seen on the big screen or even on television. Um, I think uh, the Book of Life, as Lalo mentioned, did a very nice job of that. I think the end product with um, Coco was also well done. Uh, Lalo, once you had a chance to see Coco in its finished state, how did you feel about how Dia de los Muertos was represented? Um, uh, you know, uh, I saw it. You know, my, my main job on there was to make sure that the audience kind of, that was my specialty, is how, how does this translate to the audience? How does the dialogue sound to a, a bilingual audience? Because that, that's my community, and I wanted them to, uh, you know, be able to feel like this movie's for them. And they did feel that, I, I think. And uh, um, I, I think it's, you know, also, though, on the flip side, uh, and a non-traditionalist, as an artist, I'm I'm happy with kind of you know whatever way someone wants to interpret it, as long as they they're respectful to it and it's generally there. I mean, it 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 was you know at, at heart it's supposed to be a kids movie, it had a lot of dark themes in it, but I think it, it it did a great job. But I really was happy how Mexican culture was elevated. Uh, and how the the holidays explained in a way that everybody can get it. And you know, I, I you know, I don't want to jump ahead, but I I got to say, I met the the Disney's 
Asian movie distributor guy, like out from, he was from China. I met him at Pixar and he said, you haven't lived until you've been in a Chinese movie theater full of Chinese people crying their eyes out over Coco. And that was like, okay, we, we did a good job for everybody, I think. Well, let's hear again from Consuelo, an artist with self-help graphics in L.A. They're credited with helping introduce the tradition in the 70s. It does change. It's like life. Life doesn't, you're not going to go on the same trajectory. It is very important that that it remains a fluid thing. There's not one way to die. There's not one way to live. There's not one way to make an altar or celebrate Day of the Dead. I'd love to hear from both of you on on this question of how traditions change, um, how they're reshaped, who who gets to decide what those changes look like. Cynthia? Boy, there certainly have been a lot of changes in the way Day of the Dead is uh, commemorated. I think in recent times, social media has had such an incredible impact. There's so many people who are out there creating uh, TikToks and, and other videos showing how they construct their ofrenda, uh, people providing information about what it is or what it isn't. And the speed to which it's changing is absolutely amazing. Before this kind of technology ex- existed, uh, the changes in the tradition happened very slowly and they remained pretty isolated in individual indigenous communities. Uh, certainly since the film uh, Coco, you see a lot more people becoming more interested in it. And it's even brought about some significant changes in the way places like Mexico City commemorate the event. Lalo, I wanted to hear from you as well on this this issue of traditions changing. Um, who gets to change them? What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I I, I tell uh, my uh, non uh, non Chicano, non Latino friends that are uh, that are artists, and they want to, you know, our culture is beautiful, and they want to they want to play with it too. You know, and I just say, you know, you generally gotta you gotta respect it, um, and if if you know, the first step is you love it, you, it attracts you, you want to do it, and uh, you know, the second step is. Don't walk around like you invented it, you know. Mm. <laughs> don't don't puff your chest out and say, "Look what I created," you know. That's Columbusing, right? Uh, you know, uh, we 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 got to be more respectful for all cultures, like you know, it, it, all all of uh, our human cultures. And uh, but I think it's if you're alive, you, you you qualify to celebrate the dead, you know, to remember them. They're we're all human. We all have families. And, uh, you know, knock yourself out. Just, you know, like I said, don't file a trademark on it. (laughs) (laughs) Cynthia, we've been talking a lot about ofrendas. What does that refer to? What is it exactly? Well, ofrenda is literally an offering. It's a gift. So when you think about what you're actually putting on your ofrenda, stop and think of what your loved ones enjoyed in life. So you commonly see things, you know, special plates of food that were of particular interest. In a lot of places, you'll have food that's very labor-intensive to prepare, and that's an extra added uh, bonus here for the person who's coming in to visit you because it's an act of love and it shows how devoted you are to them to be able to create these elaborate dishes. But if you like Kentucky Fried Chicken or if they like Kentucky Fried Chicken, you can certainly put that on the ofrenda. You can put their favorite beer, their favorite soft drink. It's all what that person enjoyed because it's a time that they're here to um, enjoy our company but also enjoy the things that they enjoyed when they were living. Are there specific kinds of foods we associate with Dia de los Muertos? 
Sure, probably the classics are mole, uh, which is an, a very, very elaborate dish to prepare uh, with just an insane number of ingredients, and there's many different varieties of it. Uh, there's also pan de muerto, which has become very common in the United States now, and it's a special bread that is um, is baked for the occasion, and there's literally hundreds of varieties of pan de muertos in Mexico. Now, often ofrendas feature flowers, um food, as we said, candy, favorite items of a departed loved one. Is there a significance of, of certain items being left off the altar? Are there things you, would, you wouldn't place there? Well, right now I'm a little hard-pressed to think about something that you wouldn't put on there. Uh, I think some basic guidelines of human decency should go into play there. Uh, if you don't want your mother or grandmother to see it, don't put it on the ofrenda. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's some things that um, are put on at different times of, of, the, of the Day of the Dead cycle. Uh, there's some things that are absolutely classic, as you mentioned, flowers. The sempasuchil is, um, it should be there, and it is a way to guide the spirit of your loved one to the ofrenda, and it uses its color and its fragrance as a way to guide. Everything on the ofrenda has to serve a purpose, in, in essence. It's like bringing people here. It is uh, to help guide them uh, to our world. Uh, if you have an arch, the arch will symbolize a way from people coming from the land of Miklan, the land of the dead, to the land of the living, and it serves as a doorway to there. Um, uh, sources of light are also really important. But again, you know, if you shouldn't basically put anything that's in bad taste on the ofrenda. We're going to head to a quick break with this message we got from Christina. We have an annual Dia de los Muertos festival here in Birmingham, Alabama. There are Mexican bands and performers, traditional festival foods, and altars. We go every year with photos of our deceased loved ones on an illuminated lampshade. It's my way to let them enjoy the festival as we walk through the ofrendas. Thanks for sharing that. We'll be back with more in a moment. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to our discussion about Dia de los Muertos. Allison in Silver Spring writes, My mom and dad passed away from COVID in the summer of 2020. My mom's birthday is today, November 1st. I'm not Latino, but I have lots of friends who are, and they helped me learn about how to build an ofrenda, and I've adopted this tradition to help me and my family process our grief and honor my parents' memory. And the timing for my mom's birthday is perfect. We also heard from Sarah, who writes, My mom died three years ago. I loved her very much and always remember how soft her hands were. We would always have lobsters together as a treat. We're from New England. To remember her, I'm having a lobster tonight and we'll be thinking of her with love and gratitude. There's something really beautiful about having a time of remembrance and um, shared grieving. I think 
the U.S. in particular is really bad at grief. We don't create space for it. You know, Lala, when you think about the way you practice Day of the Dead, how does it help you process your grief and and really carve out space for remembering the people who who you love and who have been so important to who you are today? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even. I'm, I mean, I know grieving is a thing, but I, you know, to me. The other Los Muertos is a time for warm, fuzzy feelings, you know, mm-hmm. remembering all the good stuff. And uh, that's what I use it for. And, you know, sometimes we have an altar all year round, you know, uh, uh, in our house. And so um, I, I think it's definitely a positive thing. It's a healthy thing. And, you know, with Mexicans in Mexico are like, you know, the Inuit, you know, how they, the Inuit have like, what, 300 words for snow or something. <laughs> Mexicans have like a thousand words for death, you know, <laughs> always, they're always thinking about it. So uh, it's just a cultural thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Cynthia, that's, that's interesting that, you know, for Lalo, this is a, a day or time for warm, fuzzy feelings. But I think that's part of the challenge around grieving at least as as we kind of practice it here in the U.S., is that there is so much fear about the overwhelming fe- feeling of, of sadness or loss that we don't create the space for that and the warm fuzzy feelings that can also come alongside. It's not it's not an either or. It's a it's a yes and. How do you think about the way this tradition creates space? or perhaps a more full appreciation of what it means to grieve? Well, certainly when you're stopping to commemorate somebody during this time of year, um, obviously you feel their loss, and it reminds you of their absence on there. But I think it also allows you, uh, as Lalo says, for that warm fuzzy. In my own case, my father was quite frail late in life, and during Day of the Dead, I always think of him as this very robust, energetic, dynamic individual when he was younger and healthier. Uh, so for me, it's an opportunity not to see him in the days that where I was very sad uh, to see him. Maybe his, his, fa- his health was failing, but it was an opportunity to see like what a dynamic individual he was in his younger years. We got this email from one of you. My son passed away five years ago this November. I started celebrating by setting up an altar in his memory and have done so for the last four years. I also include the dogs I have lost. It has helped immensely with my anxiety and depression during this time of year. I'm not Mexican. I'm Cuban-American and not religious at all. Uh, Cynthia, how does the the tradition vary across Latin America? Well, again, you know, even if you're looking specifically at a place like Mexico, which is probably the most dynamic, vibrant expression of Day of the Dead, it varies from community to community. And if you recall, uh, Day of the Dead has been inscribed into UNESCO's kind of human heritage uh, list, and it specifically says the way indigenous communities celebrate it, not necessarily this larger national kind of thing that we see these days with all of the parades and all these different kinds of uh, artistic installations, but really what's happening in the grassroots communities from which it comes. And each one of those is so specific to the community. It's so specific to perhaps even hundreds of years old traditions. Now, Lalo, you actually got to be in the movie Coco. And as you mentioned earlier, representation was a big part of the reason you wanted to be involved with that project. How have you seen 
that representation and and Coco itself sort of spread across the world and and translate to other cultures. I, I you know I, I like that people reference Coco. The people uh, you know I, it's a thin line too because now there's you know last night was uh, Halloween and we have you know eight hundred to a thousand kids come through. Um, and, uh, there was some day of the dead costumes in there. And I, I, I used to kind of think, well, it's not that appropriate, but, and now I'm softening a little bit, I guess. I don't know. I think it's okay. Uh, if it becomes part of Halloween, we just got to remember it's not Halloween. And, uh, I think we'll be cool. It's just, you know, people dress up as, uh, pop uh, culture figures and, and Coco has become a major pop culture uh, you know, point in uh, in the world, so I'm 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 happy about it, and I counted about a dozen Wednesday Adams, which is cool because <laughs> twelve, uh, you know, about a dozen little little Latinas running around as Wednesday Adams. I think that's cool too. Well, Cynthia, we got quite a few messages from our text club about the significance of skeletons um, in Dia de los Muertos. Was that always part of the tradition? It depends on where you are. It can be quite, quite diverse. There's actually one town in Mexico that during this time, they go and exhume the bones of their loved ones and mm-hmm. clean them. Uh, they have a special dispensation from the government and the health department that allows them to do them. Obviously, there's some health concerns about doing such things. Uh, but they have been, uh, skeletons and bones have been associated with the uh, Mesoamerican um, uh, cultures. Um, you see skulls represented in a number of, of codices. So it has a long, long trajectory. And of course, today it has become so popular and it is as Guadalupe Posada, the fame Mexica, famous Mexican lithographer. It's, you know, the last thing that it remains of us are bones. Hmm. Well, we asked Consuelo, the artist at Self-Help Graphics, how she saw the tradition evolving further. And she says the messages of the ofrendas and why they're built as a reflection of current times. As she mentioned building ofrendas that honored those who had passed away in shootings and natural disasters. Cynthia, I'll start with you. How do you see this tradition evolving? I think it's going to continue evolving and it's going to evolve at a very, very quick rate. Uh, first of all is you have non-Mexicans or non-Mexican-Americans, non-Chicanos uh, beginning to incorporate it. It feels such an, it fills such an important void for human beings in, in a, it's such a good way to process the loss of a loved one. But it will continue to evolve. Today, one of the things that I see that as a researcher I'm quite intrigued about, but as an individual and a practitioner of this tradition, I'm somewhat concerned is the uh, incredible corporate manufacturing of products related to Day of the Dead. You see big, large, big box stores that are producing things that are and selling things that are perhaps made in countries other than Mexico or other Latin American countries where this tradition is practiced. And somebody's making money off of this, and it's not necessarily the indigenous communities from which the tradition emerges. Hmm. And Lalo, for you? You know, I wanted to also give a shout out to Jose Guadalupe Posada, fellow cartoonist, uh, who, uh, yeah, helped transform the imagery, uh, really, of, uh, of Day of the Dead uh, with his uh, images and sense of humor about death. Uh, but also, uh, yeah, when we did Coco, we lobbied to not have as many products and merchandise made, uh, at least during the, the opening run of the movie. And we stopped a lot of 
you know, uh, alebrijes being uh, made in China, you know, and decimating forests and, you know, uh, or plastic uh, items being made that are just not helping uh, the tradition at all. So uh, I can't speak for now. Uh, you can buy lots of uh, Day of the Dead stuff at Disney parks and everywhere, and it's true. It's kind of, it's getting a little out of control there. Mm. We've been talking with Cynthia Vidari. She's a researcher and folklorist at the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian. And Lalo Alcaraz, he's the cartoonist at the daily nationally syndicated comic strip, La Cucaracha. Thanks to you both. Today's producer was Barb Anguiano. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth... Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at LifeKit... We want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.